First, a quick note. This episode isn't any more violent than the others, but I feel like Pinocchio might draw some people who want to listen with their young children. Please don't. This isn't the popular version you probably know, but rather the original. See the episode post on mythpodcast.com for a list of what I'm talking about. This week, on Myths and Legends, it's the original story of Pinocchio, where you'll see that if your newborn puppet son starts his life by stealing your wig and then breaking your nose, you're in for a rough childhood. The creature this time is a giant grasshopper, who just wants to be left alone to shop for groceries. The only issue? His cart is full of children. This is Myths and Legends, episode 112A, No Strings Attached. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, it's the original story of Pinocchio, a literary fairy tale originally published in the 1880s by Italian writer Carlo Collodi. It was originally a serialized story published in a newspaper in Rome, but it was so popular it was doubled in length and turned into a novel after it was bought by a publisher. Today, we're going to get through pretty much all of the original serial and include the author's original, gruesome ending. But today's story doesn't start with Pinocchio or even Geppetto. It starts with an old carpenter who has a bad temper. Mastro Antonio was excited. It didn't take much, apparently. Just an ugly piece of wood to finish his table. He found the wood walking along the road and thought it was the perfect piece of boring wood to finish his moderately boring table. It was a good day. He snatched the piece and took it back to his workshop, knowing that even ugly things could contain beauty underneath. Also, it was free wood to finish his table and it had been on his to-do list for months, so he was grateful to finally knock it out. Once home, he began prepping the wood. The bark would have to be removed first. He raised an ax above his head, and then he heard a voice, Whoa, careful with that thing. Antonio nearly dropped the ax on his head, as he staggered backwards, bewildered. He lunged for the door, but there was no one outside. With a shrug, he hefted the ax again. Perhaps he'd imagined the voice. The ax fell hard against the wood. Hey, I said be careful. As the voice wept, Antonio stood there dumbfounded. Okay, the wood definitely talked that time, and it was now weeping like a child. Why was this log crying? If you're thinking that a reasonable real-world reaction would be running away from the talking wood, and that a reasonable fairy tale reaction would be talking back and befriending it, you're right, on both counts. But Antonio did neither of those things. Convinced that there was either a tiny man hiding inside it, or that the log was possessed, he mercilessly beat it, smashing it on counters, walls, and doors. And the story says he even punched it until his fists bled for 10 straight minutes. Repositioning his wig and wiping sweat from his brow, Antonio realized he hadn't heard a peep from the wood during the fight. And so he could only assume, again, that he had imagined the tiny crying child sounds. Still, he looked at the wood and the axe and figured that it would be better to use a plane to smooth it out rather than an axe. The wood tried to hold it together. As a piece of wood, there are worse things to be than a table. Odds were good that he'd become part of an heirloom that would stay in the family for generations, until eventually being given away on Craigslist by the last member of the family that could be stuck with it. 
but the wood could not hold it together. It was ticklish, and it started laughing hysterically, begging Antonio to stop. And the carpenter did, when he fainted. Hey, Antonio, wake up, bud. Antonio blinked awake. It was Geppetto, also known as Polendina, though he hated being called Polendina. That's what all the kids called him. It was Italian for cornmeal, because his wig was the color of cornmeal, and very obviously fake to everyone but Geppetto. Polendina, aka Geppetto, asked him what he was doing on the floor, and Antonio replied that he was teaching ants to read. So what brought Geppetto to his shop? Geppetto replied that his legs brought him to his shop, dropping a dad joke out of nowhere. As Antonio hoisted himself to his feet, Geppetto explained that he had come looking for a piece of wood to craft a beautiful marionette. As Antonio knew, Geppetto lived in crushing poverty. Antonio nodded. Well, just that morning, Geppetto had had an idea. He was going to make a puppet that could dance, fence, and somersault. Then, he was going to leave town and travel around the world, hopefully making enough money to eat. Hopefully. Bravo, Polandina, the block of wood cried out, encouraging enough to yell out in support, but not so much as to not use Geppetto's hated nickname. Instantly, Geppetto was all up in Antonio's face, demanding to know why, when he was coming to the carpenter for help, the guy was throwing around insults. Antonio desperately tried to squeak out that it wasn't him. Really, it was, it was me? Are you saying that I said it? Well, I'm the only one here. Who do you think you're talking to? Now, a reasonable plan would be to de-escalate and explain that the wood on the table could talk. But they were kind of past that point already. Antonio was nearly as big of a hothead as Geppetto, and he demanded that his customer get out of his face and listen to his story. Geppetto would not, and proceeded to bite him. After that, things blew up into a rough and weird scrape. There was a slapping and scratching portion of the fight, but somewhere after that, it ended up with Geppetto chewing on Antonio's gray wig and Antonio chewing on Geppetto's yellow wig, which, okay, I have been in very few fights, so I'm far from an expert, but I feel like nobody wins in a situation involving double hairpiece consumption. Well, agreeing to swap back their wig chew toys, the elderly men resolved to be friends again and immediately got back to business. Geppetto simply wanted a piece of wood to make a puppet. Antonio's hand shot to the table and he told Geppetto that he could have this one at no cost. Just get it out of his store. As he was handing the wood to the thankful patron, it jiggled ever so slightly, and Antonio lost his hold on it. It crashed down to Geppetto's legs. The prickly prospective puppeteer looked up from the growing bruise on his legs. He was red in the face. Five minutes, a few scratches, and several missing buttons later, Geppetto shook hands with Antonio and limped home with a wood piece in his hand. Now, Geppetto had once known a whole family of people named a variation of the name Pinocchio. The father was Pinocchio, the mother was Pinocchia, and the child was named Pinocchi. They were all extremely lucky, even if it was difficult to get their attention. So Geppetto thought Pinocchio would be a good name for his marionette. He settled in next to his painting of a roaring fire with a bubbling pot of soup, basically the 1800s version of queuing up a roaring fire on YouTube. Geppetto was way too poor to afford a fireplace, or a pot, or food most days, but all that was going to change. 
With a grin, he went to work on his puppet. Geppetto carved and carved until he had worked down to the tip of the nose. And then he went to work on the eyes. The eyes, as he had made them, stared straight forward. Mildly satisfied, he went to work on the nose again, but noticed the eyes. Following him, they were watching his work on the nose and mouth intently. Obviously not creeped out enough to throw this demon wood into the fire and stomp on its ashes, Geppetto finished the nose, and it started growing. Pinocchio wasn't even lying, but still, it grew. Geppetto had to duck out of the way as it shot past him. The wooden nose stopped when it hit the ceiling, and Geppetto was able to saw it off close to the face. But as soon as he shaped it back into a nose, it began growing again. And Geppetto sighed and, seriously, for some reason, kept on working. He carved the mouth and the thing laughed at him incessantly. He carved the hands and it played keep away with his wig. He carved the legs and it started to wiggle. As Geppetto finished Pinocchio's feet and carved that last little bit of wood away, he thought to himself, Self, maybe it wasn't a good idea to make a sentient magical wooden child who, though he wasn't fully formed yet, had already laughed at him and stolen his wig. Unfortunately, he considered all of this as he cut that last bit away, and Pinocchio's legs came to life. Not surprisingly, he kicked Geppetto square in the nose. The old man tumbled backwards and swore, grabbing his face. When he had the presence of mind to look around, Geppetto caught sight of his creation, flipping a somersault out an open window to the street below. Partly mad, but mostly impressed that, at mere seconds old, his wooden son had mastered not only walking, but also light gymnastics, Geppetto took off down the street after him. All he had to do was follow the screams and the clickety-clack of wooden shoes on cobblestone. Townspeople fled in terror at the sound of what was surely a runaway colt. A brave soldier being brave stood wide in the middle of the street and waited for the beast to challenge. But when the crowd pushed past him and cleared, he saw not a giant beast, but a tiny wooden child with a long nose sprinting and laughing through town. A few minutes later, the soldier had wrestled the little guy to the ground and was now dragging him back to his parents, or wherever the little wooden child had come from. The soldier clutched Pinocchio by the back of his neck and shook him, which is not a way the American Pediatric Association recommends carrying children, just FYI, and Pinocchio began to cry. The soldier paused and set the puppet down, and the town gathered round. One man shouted that he saw the puppet run out of Geppetto's place. A woman mumbled that she would cry too if she were a kid who had to live with Geppetto, the guy was a bit oversensitive about his obvious wig. And by oversensitive, she meant he beat children in the street for laughing at him, or sneering at him, or sometimes for even just looking at him. A third person chimed in, saying that if the soldier took the magical puppet boy that they were all suddenly cool with back to Geppetto, the guy would tear him to pieces. At this point, the soldier looked at Pinocchio weeping in the street, and considered the concerned crowd he grabbed Pinocchio and marched him back to Geppetto's house. This your boy, he demanded when Geppetto answered the door. Geppetto nodded, and the soldier set Pinocchio down in front of his angry craftsman dad. Then, the soldier grabbed Geppetto by the back of his neck and dragged him through town. He'd heard what Geppetto had been doing to those kids. He wasn't going to stand for it. Geppetto, quite used to fighting old carpenters and chewing on wigs, was not used to the strong soldier, 
and couldn't slip free from his grip. Still clutching Geppetto by the neck, the soldier tossed the old man into prison. Geppetto slid across the stone floor and scrambled to his feet. He rose and rushed the door, but it had already been slammed shut and locked. Turning, he cursed Pinocchio's name and slumped on the floor of his cell. By now, Pinocchio had already returned home. He'd followed a bit to see where the soldier was taking his creator, but when he saw it was prison, he sprinted home, overflowing with joy. Not only was he not going to be beaten, but he had the house to himself. Sliding across the floor a la Tom Cruise in Risky Business, Pinocchio heard a, hey, chirp chirp, in the corner, followed by, hey, kid, wooden child, the only other person here, yeah, over here. Pinocchio almost bowled over the table in surprise when he saw that he wasn't alone in the house. A cricket was talking at him from across the room. Oh, Jiminy Cricket, you scared me. Wait, what'd you call me? The cricket asked. Oh, I didn't call you anything, Pinocchio replied. It's a euphemism so I can avoid saying the Lord's name in vain. Like, oh my gosh, or criminy. Huh, yeah, that's, that's cool, the cricket said, but let's avoid that particular name. I don't know what it is, but it kind of feels like the type of thing that would be protected by U.S. trademark laws. Pinocchio nodded. Sure, sure. So, what did the talking cricket want to be called? The cricket said that talking cricket was good enough for him. He was kind of a minor character, so no need for a name or backstory. He was just a simple talking cricket helping out wooden children. Pinocchio nestled down in Geppetto's favorite chair. Helping children, huh? That was nice. All right get out. The talking cricket was nonplussed. No, he would not leave. He had been living in this home for a hundred years. Pinocchio narrowed his wooden eyes. That couldn't be remotely correct, but still, get out. This was Chateau de Pinocchio now. The talking cricket stepped forward, clearing his throat, and began. Woe to boys who refuse to obey their parents and run away from home. They will never be happy in this world, and when they are older, they will be very sorry for it. Pinocchio shrugged. The cricket must have read his mind. He knew Geppetto couldn't stay in prison forever on the charges of potentially beating a sentient puppet, so the next morning, after Pinocchio wrecked this place, he was going to head out. If Pinocchio survived the beating that Geppetto was going to give him, he had no doubt that he, like any other boy or girl, would be sent away to school, and Pinocchio would rather chase after butterflies, climb trees, and steal birds' nests. The talking cricket replied that that last one was... A little unexpected, but whatever. If Pinocchio ran away, he would grow into a donkey. He would be the laughingstock of everyone. If he didn't want to go to school, he should at least learn a trade so he could earn a living. Geppetto's temper must have been passed down to Pinocchio because the puppet shook his head. His unsolicited life coach better watch himself. But the talking cricket did not. He announced firmly that any child who followed Pinocchio's path ended up in hospital or prison. Pinocchio stood quickly and ordered the talking cricket to be silent, or he'd be sorry. But the bold cricket continued. He felt sorry for Pinocchio. He was a puppet, and it was obvious why he was so stupid. His head was made of wood. Pinocchio yelled in rage at the insect, took a hammer from Geppetto's workbench, and tossed it at the cricket. Now, crickets can easily dodge hammers that are thrown from a half a room away. Or they could, if they weren't 100 years old. It hit the cricket, and with a crunch and a splat, the talking cricket 
became nothing more than a stain on the wall. Yes, the talking cricket was dead. Our buddy Pinocchio will continue to be the worst, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. can't really overstate how minor of a character the talking cricket is in the earliest versions of the story. No dapper insect suits, no wishing upon a star. All the original Jiminy Cricket got was a hammer to the head. So, while the cricket's remains dried on the wall, Pinocchio began to feel hungry. That's when he saw a boiling hot pot on the fire. Rubbing his wooden hands together, he reached for it, but saw that it wasn't, in fact, an actual pot on an actual fire but rather a painting of a pot on a fire. Stupid cheapskate dad. He went through the cupboards. Empty. Looked in the cellar. Empty. Pinocchio had sprinted across town, gotten his dad thrown in prison, and murdered a cricket for crying out loud. He was hungry. But Geppetto was poor. He was going to use the marionette to earn dinner for himself that night, before it came to life and got him arrested. So now he had nothing around the house. Then... Pinocchio's eyes caught something in the corner by the cricket smear. An egg that had somehow been caught up in a dust pile while Geppetto was cleaning. I don't know if the standards for food were different in the 1800s, or if Pinocchio was that hungry, but seeing as it was the only edible thing in the house, he fired up the skillet. There are many reasons not to eat eggs you find on the floor, and actually kind of low down on that list is the fact that they might be fertilized eggs. When Pinocchio broke the egg over the skillet, a baby bird dropped out hopped away from the hot surface, thanked Pinocchio for the help getting out, and flew out a nearby window. With his dinner flying the coop, Pinocchio, only a day old, realized how alone he was in this house. His father was in prison because of him, and he had no means by which to care for himself. If he hadn't run away from home, his father would be here, and maybe he wouldn't be starving. Seeing as his pride was just about all he had to swallow, Pinocchio walked out the front door, made his way to a nearby village to beg for some bread. But it had been a long day, and now it was after nightfall. Pinocchio could see the streets were deserted, and then he heard why. Lightning cracked in the sky, and heavy rain began to fall. He slipped and slid to the first house he saw, and rang the doorbell. It was a woman who, maybe because it was dark, thought he was a real boy, and grimaced. What did he want? Pinocchio, nearly weeping, admitted that he was starving. He just needed some bread. She nodded. See that window there? He wasn't allowed in the house, but if he stood under that window, she would get something for him. Pinocchio thanked her and went to stand under the window, long enough to get a full bucket of cold water on the head, and warning that if he stayed around here playing those games, a beating would be the next thing he got. Pinocchio could not have known this. He was less than one day old, But there was such a thing as ding-dong ditch in 19th century Italy, and the families were having absolutely none of that. Thus the impromptu ice bucket challenge for the starving puppet child. The rain continued pouring down, soaking him further, and so shivering Pinocchio ran home as fast as he could, hoping that his wooden body wouldn't start to warp. At home, the stove was still hot, so at least he could use that to dry himself. He propped his feet up near the flame and went to sleep. The next morning, Pinocchio rolled over and then sniffed the air 
Hmm, someone was building a fire. He hoped they were making food, too. Ugh, food. He shut his eyes tighter and tried to put food out of his mind. It would be nice to sleep a little while longer. That's when he heard a rustling at the door. He gasped and snapped awake. Someone was breaking into the house. He rose to his feet, and then he fell over. Pinocchio looked down and screamed. His feet were ash. They had burned last night while he slept. He started to crawl away from the burglar when he heard the lock click. Wait, that meant the burglar had a key, which meant, oh no. Yes, Geppetto filled the doorway, a menacing smile on his face as he looked at his partially burned puppet son. Hello, puppet. As it turned out, you could not hold someone in jail for the crime of maybe beating up a puppet. Not even in a fairy tale. So Geppetto had been released as soon as the magistrate arrived the next morning. Geppetto had been dreaming of all the things he was going to do to that little puppet when he got out of jail. But when he saw the starving, crying puppet son hobbling toward him on burned up shins, he could see that the boy had been through enough. He scooped up little Pinocchio and, through tears, Heard something about a talking cricket and a bird and a bucket of water or something? Geppetto shrugged. He couldn't make heads or tails of it. What he could discern, though, was that Pinocchio was hungry. He took three pears out of his pocket, his own breakfast that the jailer had given him as recompense for the mix-up, and handed them to Pinocchio. Geppetto would figure something else out for breakfast. His boy could have his food. Pinocchio looked up and sniffled. If you want me to eat those... You'll need to peel him for me. Oh my gosh. Geppetto clenched his teeth, but then sighed. Right. The kid was just one day old. He was going to cut him some slack. Yeah, I'll peel your pears. Give him here. Pinocchio was so hungry that he devoured the skins as well, because kids are like that sometimes, and satiated after eating a grown man's breakfast, Pinocchio sat back and asked his hungry dad when he was going to make some new feet. Geppetto laughed. Why would he make Pinocchio new feet? The last time he made Pinocchio feet, the puppet kicked him in the nose, ran into town, and got him arrested. Pinocchio, who was already on his knees because, well, that was all he had, begged his father for a new pair of feet. He would never run away again. Geppetto was going to make him feet anyway, but the apology was nice. An hour later, in the non-light of the painted fireplace, Geppetto presented his boy with some new feet. Pinocchio smiled and said that because of the feat and because he had seen his previous plan of doing nothing forever and also stealing bird's nests for some reason would only leave him hungry and covered in cold water, Pinocchio had decided to go to school. He just needed some clothes because also up to this point he had apparently been walking around naked. The old man frowned and then he had an idea. A couple hours later, his son stood dressed in a suit made out of flower paper and a fancy vest, bow tie, and pair of shoes made out of the wooden boy's leftover bark. Geppetto sighed. If Pinocchio was going to go to school, he needed one more thing. A school book. And Geppetto couldn't make one of those. He stood up abruptly and told the boy he was going to go to the store. He slung his heavy, patched coat over his body and left. Shortly after, he returned with a school book and without his coat. Instantly, Pinocchio understood the sacrifice, and, unable to restrain his tears, 
jumped into Geppetto's arms and told his dad, thank you. The next day, Pinocchio was skipping off towards school in a great mood. He was going to learn to read, write, and do math. He was going to make buckets of money and buy his dad a new gold coat with diamond buttons. He was so excited to learn stuff. And wait, what was that? Off in the distance, he heard music. Pipes blaring. Actually, sounded kind of fun. Kind of more fun than a 19th century schoolhouse. But, but no. He had to go to school. He couldn't follow the fun music. He had to go to school. 15 minutes later, he was at the source of the fun music. He would start school tomorrow. A nearby boy told him that the sign read, The Grand Marionette Theater. The wood clicked as Pinocchio's jaw dropped. Marionettes? There were more marionettes? He had to see. He rushed toward the opening, but was stopped by a burly gentleman in a bowler hat. It was four pennies to get in. Oh, well, Pinocchio left his money at home. Could he see the show now and pay tomorrow? The burly man laughed at him. No. Pinocchio looked down. Oh, what if he would trade the man his suit? The man said no. He didn't need a marionette boy-sized paper suit. That was beyond useless. His hat? Pinocchio asked. No. Coat? Still no. What about his pants? Ew, no. I'll buy that book you have. Four pennies ought to be enough for that. Pinocchio heard from the crowd behind him. A rag picker, someone who made his living dumpster diving for valuables, made him a lowball offer on the very book that had cost his father his coat. Pinocchio slammed down the book. Deal. He wanted to see inside the theater. He wanted to see more marionettes like him. He didn't think about his father selling the last thing of value he had for the book, or about Geppetto sitting at home shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he entered, the play had already started, so he took a seat toward the back. The marionettes were up on the stage in the middle of the play when, wait, guys, is that Pinocchio? I think that's Pinocchio. Soon, the entire stage was crying out to him to get up there. He was a legend in the marionette community. A marionette that could move and talk on his own? When Pinocchio reached the stage, they took turns congratulating him, high-fiving, and taking 19th century selfies, which took like a whole minute and you had to stand completely still. They hefted the puppet boy on their shoulders and carried him around the stage, chanting his name. The only issue? They were still right in the middle of that play. Unsurprisingly, the audience began shouting at them to continue the entertainment they had paid good money to see. Then, all the marionettes collapsed. In a heap on the floor, one, named Harlequin, mouthed for Pinocchio to run. But it was too late. A man burst from below the stage, the size of an ogre with red eyes and a whip made out of alternating green snakes and severed black housecat tails. He's bad if you're not catching the subtext. He saw Pinocchio, dragged him from the stage, and locked him in the kitchen, saying that he had dealt with rogue puppets before. And he would see to it that Pinocchio never interrupted his show again. By paying him off. Would four gold coins do it for you to never come back here again? The puppeteer, named Fire Eater, said after the show. He was going to burn Pinocchio to cook his dinner, but a series of sneezes had convinced him otherwise. Somehow, I, I really don't know how that happened. He was going to toss one of his other puppets on the fire, which, 
I'm no puppeteer, but tossing your own puppets on the fire to cook dinner, it seems like a waste of the means by which you make your money, and also mildly toxic because of that lead-based paint. Anyway, Pinocchio begged for his friend's life, and, eventually, after a lot of flattery and Pinocchio being willing to die in his friend's place, Fire Eater, the puppeteer, made the choice of just eating his lamb half-cooked. All the puppets cheered, turned on the stage lights, and danced until dawn without the puppeteer, because I guess consistency doesn't matter at all in the story. The next morning, Fire Eater awoke, told them all to get ready for their show. Pinocchio looked at the time and, yep, he was about 15 hours late coming home from his first day at school. This might not go over well. Pinocchio was sprinting and had nearly gone a half mile when he stopped sprinting. Even though he was a puppet, he still got tired and he had been dancing all night long. He stopped to catch his breath when he heard a voice from the shadow of a tree. The voice came from a fox who had been leading a blind cat and they had both stopped to rest in the heat of the day. The stranger thing, he had called Pinocchio by name. Pinocchio, still catching his breath, asked how the fox knew him. Easy, the fox replied. He had heard Geppetto calling his name the night before, shivering in his shirt sleeves as he walked the roads by the house, looking for his son. Ooh, really? Pinocchio knew it was his fault. But it wouldn't matter anymore. He was rich. He had four gold pieces. The fox and the blind cat became completely still. What? Pinocchio shared that he had taken a bribe yesterday to never come back to the Grand Marionette Theater. No big deal, but he was swimming in cash now. Four big ones. He was going to buy his dad a solid gold coat, another ABC book for himself, and then probably a vacation house in the south of France. He didn't know. He had no idea how much things cost. The fox agreed that those were all good ideas except for the education part. He had lost his own paw because he had wanted to be educated. And this cat here? The cat lost his eyes. Hey, Pinocchio, the puppet heard from the tree. Yeah, up here, hi. I'm the blackbird. Listen, these guys are trouble. I mean, a fairy tale fox? Bad news. Don't listen to him. And oh my gosh, the cat decided to take a break from his blindness long enough to swipe and catch the bird. After tearing the blackbird apart as the other two listened to his screams, the cat stood calmly, rejoined the fox, and resumed being blind. As I was saying, the fox sneered, tomorrow Pinocchio's four gold pieces could be 2,000. Pinocchio would have doubled his money. Obviously, math hadn't been the fox's strongest subject. Pinocchio wavered. He should really go home. But the fox kept talking. Nearby was the city of Simple Simons. There was a blessed field there called the Field of Wonders, where, if you buried one gold piece, watered it, sprinkled some salt on it, and went to bed, your gold would sprout and grow into a tree loaded with about 500 gold pieces. It was amazing. Pinocchio was only slightly better at math than the fox, but he was actually able to multiply 500 by 5. 2,500 gold pieces. His father could afford a new coat and an actual fireplace. This was too good to pass up on. Pinocchio offered to only keep 2,000 gold pieces for himself and give the fox and his blind cat friend 250 apiece as sort of a magical field finder's fee. But they each refused. They only lived to help others. Pinocchio thought about his father, 
but knew that the man would be happy about the money. The boy was going to make it all right. Besides, he was already 16 hours late getting home. What was another day? With a wave, he told the fox to lead on. The cat put his paw in the foxes, and together they walked slowly toward the field of wonders. At about 11 p.m. that night, Pinocchio was walking alone. The cat had a family emergency and had to leave the inn in which he, the fox, and Pinocchio were staying. The fox said he would meet Pinocchio that night at the Field of Wonders, not too far off. There should still be enough time for the gold tree to grow. They accidentally forgot to pay the bill for their massive dinners, but Pinocchio was happy too. They had told him about the field after all. He was on the road when he heard a chirp chirp and sensed something, a presence he'd not felt since. He turned around and gasped. It was a ghost. The ghost of the talking cricket. Hey, jerk, way to kill me, the cricket shouted. Pinocchio staggered back. What was the cricket doing here? <sighs> Obviously, the cricket was warning Pinocchio not to follow the fox. You know, you really shouldn't trust anyone who promises overnight wealth. Those people were swindlers, and... In the case of the fox and the cat, they were also murderers. Listen to your cricket friend, the cricket urged. Besides, Pinocchio owed him one, on account of killing him. Pinocchio thought about it for a moment. Sure, the cricket made a good point. But on the other hand, trees full of gold. He told his cricket friend thank you for the advice, but he was going to completely ignore the advice and move on. The talking cricket sighed again. Good night, Pinocchio, and may heaven preserve you from the assassins. He disappeared, and Pinocchio was once again in darkness. That was when he felt the hands. Two powerful hands grabbed his left arm, while the voice of another told him to choose between his money and his life. He shoved the coins in his mouth with his right hand before they snatched it, and then he said he didn't have a penny on him. It was true, after all. He had four gold pieces but they knew he was lying. After searching through his pockets, they knew it must be in his mouth. One found his way up there, and Pinocchio bit down hard, severing his hand. Right before he spit it out, but somehow managed to keep the coins in there, he noticed the hand felt curiously like a cat's paw. After that, he kept his mouth shut hard. Now, Pinocchio was made out of hard wood, and though they tried to pry open his mouth by knife point, he resisted. They stabbed at his back, he broke the knife. Finally, the pair had an idea. Hang him. They could take his money off his corpse when he finally opened his mouth in agony, taking his last breaths. They looped the rope around his hands, and then another around his neck. Tossing it up in the tree branches, they hefted the pleading puppet off the ground. Pinocchio hung there for hours, barely able to breathe. Just before the sun in the east turned to lighter purple and faded to orange, his captors announced that they didn't have time for this. He might be magical, but he would die. Everything died. And when he did, they would return for the gold. The pair left, and Pinocchio remained hanging from the tree. He was made out of hard wood, but even Pinocchio began to weaken as he swayed on the wind. He was able to breathe less and less by the hour, until, sometime around 9am, he managed a horse, Oh, Father, Dear father, 
if only you were here. Before he was unable to breathe again. Death came quickly after that. The puppet who never had the opportunity to show his father just how much he loved him, died alone, hanging from a tree. With that final twitch, the gold fell from his mouth onto the dirt below. Pinocchio was dead. If we're staying true to the author's original vision for this character, then this is how the story would have ended. This is how the original series ended, before it was bought by a publisher and expanded into a novel. Their only caveat? It's not a tragedy. Pinocchio can't die for not listening to his parents. That's too on-the-nose and brutal, even for 1800s children's literature. Anyway, we'll see how Pinocchio will come back from the dead, but that will be next week. I want to say thanks to Y Daedalus, Maddie M77902, Running Cammy, EB1978, Mystic X Maiden, Keza the Zombie, Mr. Benjam, Roger M. Osborne, Detailer1689, Many NME17, Maddie O64, Becky Lou S, and Bah Humbug. For their views on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much for taking the time to write a review. I really appreciate it. And if you'd like to leave a review for the show, Apple Podcasts is still the best place, and you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. And, as always, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of finger sporks, sporks you can wear on your fingers, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, will not help you eat four bowls of soup and or pasta at the same time. You can find more info on the membership at support.mythpodcast.com. creature this time is a grasshopper from Kawaasu folklore in Southern California. The grasshopper, named Haka Pezzini, is really an ogre with an apparent affinity for both grass and hopping, thus its favorite form. Like many mythological creatures, it loves to snack on children, and it'll put a basket on its back and help itself to a disobedient child or two and take them back to its mountain lair. To kind of lure people into lowering their guard, the 12-foot-tall grasshopper walks with a cane under both of its front feet and sings. Though, really, no matter how unassuming a 12-foot-tall grasshopper tries to appear, it's still a 12-foot-tall child-eating grasshopper with dangerous spikes on its legs. So, maybe don't fall for that one. Unfortunately, many children do. But there are ways out of it if you find yourself on an unexpected grasshopper piggyback ride. It tends to lose track of its food, so just wait for an overhanging branch and grab on. It'll be a 12-foot fall but I guarantee you that it will be better than being eaten by a giant grasshopper. As for killing it, well, that's pretty difficult. There are a couple of different ways to do it. The grasshopper can transform into a giant, an unassuming old man, or a swarm of regular-sized grasshoppers. If it looks like the fight is going south, the giant grasshopper will split into hundreds of grasshoppers and swarm away. You then have to hunt down every last grasshopper and kill it before it reforms. But if you do, you'll find a dead giant laying there in the place of that final smushed insect. Luckily, you don't have to break out the bug zapper and head into the desert, because the job of killing the giant grasshopper has already been done. By a kind mouse. Walking its latest meal back to its lair, the ogre saw the mouse blocking its path. Opting not to go full red wall on him, the mouse, instead, said he submitted to the giant. 
he would feed the beast his child. The grasshopper had a hard time getting close enough, on account of his canes, to eat the baby mouse. So the mouse walked the baby up his side, where he replaced the child with a superheated arrowhead and shoved the stone down the grasshopper's throat. It tore through his insides, setting him on fire, killing him, and also turning him to stone for some reason. Apparently his remains, and the remains of the hero mouse's house, can still be seen in Southern California. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and edited and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.